In this week's episode, we're going to discuss the ministry of Pastor John Piper. Few have influenced the recent generation of preachers more than him. Probably his most well-known sermon is what is known as the Shells Sermon, preached to 40,000 mostly college students on a field outside Memphis, Tennessee on May 20th, 2000. It was this moment in this preaching which set him on a course to influence a generation. This is the portion of that sermon that gives it its name. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. Which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. And you don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached place. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, 
And then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go. And they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked? It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early. February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream... A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it.
Welcome to the Fire and Bones Podcast, a weekly conversation between two friends and pastors applying the Word of God to everyday life. I'm Nathan Loudon, and I pastor at Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. I'm with my friend Michael Crosswhite, who pastors Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at FireBonesCast. Thanks for joining today's episode. first what's the first sermon that you remember hearing from john piper or your first memory of john piper's ministry yeah it actually wasn't a sermon uh the first thing that i ever had any contact with john piper at all was a book called the pleasures of god yes (laughs) that's messed up man (laughs) just just saying yeah occasionally i read um (laughs) (laughs) this would have been a paperback book this would this would have been yeah it's traditional you know paper with printed words on it and uh no computer speaking to me i actually went through with my brain my eyes and everything and you couldn't read this book at three three times the speed no i I couldn't speed it up three times over no so pleasures of god what what's what's that about why did it how, how did it affect you what's your memory yeah, the subtitle of the book is, if I remember right, Meditations on God's Delight in Being God. And um, I learned later, I didn't know this at the time, that this was sort of the sequel to his kind of big, probably most well-known book, Desiring God. And from what I understand, having heard him speak some years later, that uh, the pleasures of God is an expansion. Basically, the entire book is what is chapter one of Desiring God, hmm. and um, at least that's how I've heard him explain it much later. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I grew up so this this is uh, obviously I'm not trying to necessarily make this about me or anything, but just a brief little history of my experience with it. I grew up. At four years old, really remembering going to a Bible study that was, uh, I mean, steeped in Reformed theology and things like that. And um, I, so by the time I was like six, I had been two years going to this Bible study with my parents week in and week out. It was filled with adults. It was it was an adult Bible study, and I was just brought along because my parents couldn't afford a babysitter. And um, <laughs> basically, and so I remember hearing um, Otis, who was a, a man that was 66 years older than me that later ended up discipling me, um, you know, just go through kind of Reformed doctrine, but it was not, it wasn't like a doctrinal study. It was just a study of the Bible. Like he just opened up the Bible and dealt with each verse, literally word by word. But I also would go to church on Sunday mornings and Sunday school and things like that, and I wouldn't hear the presentation of the Word in the same way that I would hear it at that Bible study on Tuesday night. And so we would, um, you know, we, we went to that Bible study for years on end, and I remember being about probably 13 years old, maybe. I could have the years wrong, but I remember being about 13 years old, and I somehow got my hands on a copy of The Pleasures of God, and I read through it. You read and, Pleasures of God when you were 13 years old? Um, man, I, I, I don't want to commit to that, but I, that sounds about right. I was I was going into high school. I remember it was somewhere in my high school years, so that would have been probably about right, 13 or 14 maybe. Yeah. And I remember thinking when I read it, um, there's someone else out there that 
thinks like I do about the text of Scripture that see, mm-hmm. that's, that says the same things that Otis is, has been teaching for years. And so I remember that being the first, my first encounter with it was like, I didn't know there was anybody else out there that really thought like that. Because I didn't really read like a ton ton of you know Christian books and things like that. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering how expansive your library was at thirteen. Not not yeah. very expansive. <laughs> I mean, I loved Curious George and uh, you know Calvin and Hobbes. Piper. Yeah, uh, you know Calvin and Hobbes, uh, X Men comics, and then John Piper. Um, there you go. That's no, so so I remember. Uh, thinking that and and really telling Otis, you know, you know, there's somebody else out there that thinks this stuff too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you should really listen to this guy. <laughs> and so, so I remember that being kind of like my first, uh, my first real experience with him, and being convinced of you know the truth of this just because uh, I've been studying this for so long, and then, and now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm reading this, you know, in somebody else's work too. So it can't be it can't be wrong, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your first experience with Piper? Um, I was in a ministry class at Mary Harden Baylor, pastoral ministry class, and the professor's name, the head of religion, I had lost on me now. Um, in his class. And he was recommending that as ministers, we find a living author that we can read everything that he's written. We can follow his preaching, you know, even if from a distance watch his life and just kind of pick that up and just kind of follow it. And even if you don't agree with everything they say or do, pick that up as a, as a general principle. And I, I didn't think much about it. I thought, yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Didn't think much. My cousin gave me a CD of Piper's message, One Single Passion, that he preached at a Ravi Zacharias luncheon fundraising event or something like that, actually. And I probably listened to that 50 times in weeks. I had over and over and over in my car. I was in college. And it was it was basically his explanation of God is most glorified in us uh, when we're most satisfied in Him, and how can you possibly uh, pursue happiness and God's glory at the same time? And his explanation of how he got to uh, that now ministry defining sentence, and and how it was biblically so. And I, I remember having just heard a sermon not long before that about how. Um, the Bible is prescribing holiness, not happiness. That, that Christianity is about holiness, not happiness. And, and to a point, I, I knew what they were talking about, and I, I, it was helpful. But to hear Piper say the Bible commissions us to pursue happiness and pursue it in God, I, I just, I had never heard that. You know, I was raised with good preaching, uh, heard good preaching, heard the Bible taught, but something in uh, a his uh, prophetic voice and in the uh, the message itself, it just locked on me. Um, and that was that was before I heard the the Shell sermon and, and the Passion uh, uh, personally. And from there, I started listening to other sermons, picked up Desiring God, um, have read 
good portion of what he's written. Not I have never read Pleasures uh, actually. So um, from there, it's just been an ongoing. Uh, ministries, watching him doing what my professor encouraged, just out of passion now and out of uh, thankfulness for the ministry, just reading articles, listening to sermons, reading books, uh, as just almost like in a conversation uh, to see what he says about this, to chew this up and consider his view on these things. Uh, but that that sermon, it's still to this day, it's probably the most recommended sermon I've ever recommended uh, over and over and over. Uh, it was just deeply impactful for me. And, and not even about Calvinism, right? Uh, which I, I can speak to my own, my own theology having been uh, helped by Piper, but just about what it means to be a Christian, what, what it means to love God and what it means to uh, be pleased with with God more than anything um, has been so so helpful. So um, that's my that's my first encounter, and have kind of followed you know on and off you know over the years his life and ministry, reading, writing, things like that. So yeah, yeah. It, it, I guess what does he mean? You know, it's so odd, I think, probably even some people come in to listen to this, like, uh, thinking, the thing on Piper? Like, (laughs) it's so so weird, but I Mm -hmm. I think it would be, um, you know, what does he mean, do you think, to the generation of pastors that are probably about our age coming into the pulpit, give or take probably 10 years, uh, coming into the pulpit, what impact do you think he's had on pulpits across America? I mean that that's difficult to a difficult scope to really define. But there's only a few individuals that you could consider have had such a reaching impact on preaching in the West for sure, maybe beyond. Um, in the past 30 to 40 years um, since Desiring God was formed and uh, his book Desiring God got more popular and more known. Um, I think that's the way I would say it is just try to find someone who's been more read, more listened to, more referenced, more often referenced um, than than Piper in, in most evangelical circles. I think it'd be difficult, and there's only a few names that you could maybe even consider uh, is the case. And, and even if you know not not everyone agrees with him and loves him, just the fact that there's there, his teaching and discussion, his his book, "Let the Nations Be Glad," uh, I've seen that in several uh, seminary uh, missions courses. Um, basically, taking that statement. God is most glorified in us. We're most satisfied in Him. His whole mantra in you know, in, in missions classes uh, in multiple seminaries, and uh, and you know, and, and I think it's it's the part of it. I think is just the simplicity that uh, in the talk that I mentioned, one single passion. Piper says that you can get any book that he's ever written, and they all say the same thing. <laughs> they all say God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. Every book is about that. Sometimes it's that in preaching. Sometimes it's that in sexuality. Sometimes it's uh, that in marriage. But it's always that working out on a in a different you know wheel spoke so to speak. So I think part of it is just the passion about such one simple thing. Uh, aside from his 
preaching itself, which is deeply convicting, passionate, truthful, and serious. I, I think the the serious uh, the seriousness about his joy is is something that has. Um, just helped brothers take God seriously. Helped me take my own joy and take God seriously. And uh, I, I think that's one thing that has really shaped so many people is uh, seriousness about the word, passion for God. Um, and then that, that shows up in my own love for the text, my own love for the Lord. Would you say the same? Or different? Yeah, but I think his – what's frustrating, I think, when I talk to people, uh, just – I mean, mostly like lay people as they have kind of experienced maybe Piper from a distance. Maybe they've read some books or whatever. Um, I think most of what he is kind of known for in popular circles or in lay circles is Calvinism, which is, mm. I think, um, somewhat frustrating to me when yeah. you that's the a, name I Piper. That's an, unf, an unfortunate minimalization. Yeah, because yeah. the name Piper comes up and immediately people think Calvinism and if you read him and you listen to him preach and you read a lot of either articles he's written or books that he's written, that is, that's not his main contribution. Certainly he is a Calvinist and he has written some things on Calvinism. Uh, his mm-hmm. I mean, most recent book, Providence, is mm-hmm. you know largely directed at Calvinistic uh, doctrine, I, I would say. And then he's written, he did a study called Tulip, I think it is. and mm-hmm. Or yeah, no, 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 it's written, uh, Five Points, I think. Bi- and the Tulip yeah, is the... He wrote a biography the, on Calvin. Yep. He wrote a biography on Calvin. It, it, you know, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of Calvinistic things that he's written. Mm-hmm. But his main contribution is uh, the basically the contents of desiring God. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to actually desire God the the Holy Spirit transforming the heart of a hardened sinner into one that is inclined to desire God and to grow in its love and affinity for God um, that has been the biggest contribution I mean to any I mean I think anybody who has read Piper many of them have walked have gone in probably with Arminian leanings and walked out with Calvinistic leanings Mm-hmm. But uh, I think if I, I'm not sure what he would say if he were, you know, on this call and he's not spoiler alert, there's not going to be a <laughs> reveal in the end. Like, <laughs> and what do you think, John? You know, uh, you know, three way calling here. Uh, no, yeah. um, but I think his his biggest contribution has been the the inclination the change of heart that the holy spirit brings to the life of a believer to actually desire god and to grow in our desire and affinity for god and yeah. i think when that peace is unlocked i mean it's the it's honestly the bedrock of counseling for me when we mm-hmm. go into a when I go into a counseling session with maybe somebody who's, let's say, addicted to pornography or who is struggling with various kind, forms of addiction of one kind or another, um, we, we, we get to the point where we deal with those theological underpinnings of what does it actually mean to desire God? Can you, as a Christian, uh, conquer addiction not by might or effort, but mm-hmm. by a growing desire for the Lord himself. And mm-hmm. would that actually give you such joy that in the end, the 
temptations and the desires of addiction, the addiction that you you currently struggle with, would pale by comparison? I think the answer mm-hmm. to that is yes. And so, in in counseling, even we're building towards that same idea. And so, it's I think it's unfortunate when you when you hear what impact he's had on the church or on people Mm -hmm. and it's associated with Calvinism. That's not, to me, I don't think that's his biggest impact. His biggest impact is, as you've said, it's it's building a, a a real joy, a genuine joy, a serious joy, but a genuine joy for the Lord over and against all of the temptations that the world has to offer. I think that's, mm-hmm. and, and that, you can't understate that that impacts. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there that's really a Christian that would disagree with that. You know, there's plenty of people right. that would argue about Calvinism and Arminianism, and, and that, that argument will be around for a long time to come, but there's not a soul out there that's a Christian that could argue with that premise. I mean, when it's really understood. Yeah, yeah. I and two, you know, it, it it is kind of weird. A couple pastors getting on here having a podcast about a, another. You know, if anyone's in danger of being a celebrity pastor, Piper is, and you know how you feel about Piper could put you into a, a pastoral category mm-hmm. uh, really quickly in, in certain circles. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like politics. You tell me a tell me your <laughs> how you feel about a couple things, and I'll put you in this whole political category, right? And uh, among Christians, sometimes how you feel about Piper is it immediately puts you into a category, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'll say for myself that I, I I was for years awestruck with Piper. I, I think in a, in a healthy way, and I found myself myself in my first full time ministry in a place where if I had a question, I was sure that the answer was probably in desiring God somewhere, <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so confident with Piper and so won by him and so helped by him that almost every theological question I asked, I just wanted to know what Piper said about it. And I came to a place where I realized, I don't think this is healthy. <laughs> I should be going to the Bible first, obviously. And, and if I need help, I need help. Uh, but there was a pretty, there's a pretty, you know, there's one one resource that I went to, and it was Piper for a while, Desiring God. And, uh, you know, that's been 12, 14 years ago. But I, I just kind of realized, I, I let myself think that this guy has you know kind of a, a monopoly on theology and that's unhealthy yeah. um that that is really unhealthy in fact that's exactly what paul is so frustrated with in the church uh in corinth that you've kind of got these people that you're following and it makes the church divided i don't think it ever worked itself out in division in my life and ministry that i know of uh, but I certainly had that kind of affection where I was like, this this is my guy, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Piper guy. And when I would meet other people who are Piper guys, I would feel like I'm in the club, you know? <laughs> I have discovered him as well. And let's go let's go talk let's go talk about all the Piper things that we've read. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's like a boy with baseball cards or something, you know, you're just showing off what you read and haven't read. And um, it, once once I got over that, uh, I had an even healthier appreciation uh, for just teaching and um, you know expositional preaching. The word uh, was was a big deal. Um, 
do you do you recommend his resources often or cite his sources often either from the pulpit or personal ministries um i would say with relative regularity you know i'm either handing out a book of his or i'm recommending something of of a, a resource of his not exclusively obviously i mean there's there's so many great authors out there that we um pass around their books i think but um there are several situations where I find him the most helpful, but the, the I think the biggest issue with a lot of people getting hold of his his books is that they they're they're dense. They can be really thick. They can be very difficult to read. And if it's your mm-hmm. first experience with this way of thinking about God, of finding joy in God over and against. Um, uh, or, or perhaps that all things that you enjoy in this life experienced uh, to the glory of God. Um, you know, I think if it's your first time to encounter that kind of language, it can be really difficult. Like mm-hmm. anytime my wife and I have read a book together and it'll say it's been a Piper book, um, she's always been like, you know, I have to read the sentences three or four times in order to, mm-hmm. to kind of digest and understand it. And I think that's true for anybody who is not, hasn't, um, isn't familiar enough with the terminology and isn't used to that way of thinking or that, that kind of, uh, flow of thought, then it can be really dense and really difficult. So sometimes I will, shy away from recommending a Piper book only for that reason that it's kind of dense it's difficult let's maybe even start with something a little bit more simpler just to kind of get you in immerse you into the language and the idea there was a few there's a few years ago one of our church members came up to me and was asking questions about the problem of evil Uh, did God create evil does God sovereign over evil does he ordain evil and uh, Piper has a little book uh, called oh, Sovereign Sins or something like that. I can't remember what it is. That's really little, only about 60 or 80 pages, coffee table size. And I thought, you know, I, I've read it. It's helpful. And th- to clarify some terms, It's it's. I think it's biblical. I, From what I remember, I agree with it all. And I gave it to her and just said, it's a little book. <laughs> this is a little book about that subject that I think will help you, um, you know, give some some serious long thinking to these questions because she was really uh, wanting to know. And it wasn't just kind of asking on her way out the door. She came back and she was like, no, that, my head just exploded. I don't know what to do with this. I, mean, <laughs> I have more questions, you know, uh, which is good. And I think that's part of the theological process is being challenged, thinking your own thoughts again, challenging your own thoughts, getting help, reading the Bible. And, uh, but I just remember thinking like, like, I, I thought this was going to be a softball, and all of your questions would be answered, and you'd come back and thank me for your Piper book. Right. <laughs> and that, that's not what happened. Right. Uh, so, but I don't, I don't think, um, you know, I've been surprised, too. There's a little pamphlet, basically, uh, on joy. It's, gonna, it's an evangelistic pamphlet, and we had a, a box of them that we used a while back. And uh, we had someone come through our membership years ago 
our membership class and uh, we had just kind of put one of those tracks at each spot for the membership class members and and I just thought you know I'm just kind of putting this on there let you know as a gift and if they read it great if they don't I'm you know I don't know you know who knows um, but just you know recommended something as you know could be helpful to you and mentioned it and kind of in passing really and this guy comes back next week with that little it's a little red book uh, not to get all Mao Chairman Mao on us but he had that little book in his pocket and he pulled it out and he goes this is the most important thing next to the Bible I've ever read in my life mm. <laughs> and he was serious mm. I have never thought about God like this and it's basically uh, desiring God in a 20 page pamphlet <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he was deeply impacted. And he said, I've you know, I read several things again, but he uh, was deeply helped to see the immensity of the Lord and the pleasure in the Lord and that Christianity wasn't only this duty that we give God in return uh, for a, a trade that we made at the cross, but that there's uh, a great affection for God and that that pleases Him and that that's part of Christianity. Uh, and, he, and he just felt like he understood sin as a joy in sinful things, a joy in things that are not God. And it, it, it was just helpful. So, I don't know, it's, it's hard. Every now and then I'll recommend it, and I think odds are high they never read that book. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but you have it. And other times I'm thinking, man, I really hope they read it because it could get a hold of them and uh, help them read the Bible. Um, because I think that's important, right, that we're, we're – and I've, I've had to make my own journey to get there, but it, to come to a place where any author, um, much less Piper, would be a help for us to read the Bible, not a reading the Bible for us, uh, that there's a lot of dangers uh, in that. I don't know if you ever – if did you ever have your moment where you just thought Piper was right about everything? Oh, um, yesterday? yesterday, I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, it is difficult because I think so much of the trajectory he's on and that he's pointing to, I agree with. And part of the reason, I, th- I think many people, like I was kind of mentioning earlier, you recommend a Piper book to somebody and if they have any familiarity with Piper whatsoever, their first thought a lot of times is, or maybe their first expression is, that he's trying to make me a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. And I've actually, I mean, there was a spell back in the day in college when I would argue with anybody. Um, really? I really don't do that. I'm, I'm really not desiring to make anybody a Calvinist or you know, anybody reformed in doctrine. Um, I do think they should understand the basic premise of desiring God, what Piper is arguing for. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And I think that's so helpful. And in following those conclusions to their logical end, I think mm-hmm. it, 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 it unlocks so much of of a, a Christian approach to overcoming addiction, um, so much of a, a Christian approach to the like the theological and fundamental underpinnings of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think for a Christian that 
really wrestling with and understanding what Piper is trying to lay out for the Christian is so, whether you ever read Piper or not, the idea itself is so fundamental to your existence as a Christian on earth that it is worth investigation and worth reading. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's hard to say that, you know, as I sit here right now, that, you know, I think Piper's right on everything and, and that kind of thing. Um, because I, I do respect him, but I think so much of that thought that he's been kind of careful to lay out over the years of his ministry that I've taken so much time to read and think through mm-hmm. that it's it's sort of woven throughout a lot of what I preach and a lot of what I teach. And mm-hmm. so I'll hear sometimes people will come up to me and say like yeah, I could hear a little bit of Piper in that, you know, like something that mm-hmm. I was saying is kind of similar to maybe a way he expressed it or similar to, you know, the way he would express something like that. And I can't disagree with that. I mean, you know, he he's bouncing around in my head, you know, mm-hmm. at, at, kind of at all times, not, not really because, you know, of the way I look at Piper, but more because I think he's right, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think this mm-hmm. is the way to read the scriptures, you know? And I think mm-hmm. once you do that, you're right. It doesn't necessarily just become this, you know, dutiful exercise that you're going through mm-hmm. over and over again, mm-hmm. but there's an actual joy that you're fighting for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, I think this, so this, th- there's such a struggle with, with people that I, I, I that are in our churches, I think that. I struggle with uh, legalism and, and and kind of like this, you know, checkbox Christianity of like feeling really bad you didn't do your quiet time or feeling really great that you have done it every every day for a week in a row or something, you know, and and then oh I came to church today or whatever, and and I think the way he kind of exp- walks through his arguments and 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 it just sort of disabuses you of any of that. And it, it helps you to realize that, that those morning quiet times, what I'm really fighting for is to remind my heart of the joy that there is in Christ above all else. And that everything else I experience should be, should be enjoyed to His glory. Mm-hmm. And that He created our hearts to enjoy things around us and that it, it's only by having those two things in the proper order that we can actually enjoy it not sinfully enjoy it but enjoy it mm-hmm. to the glory of God and I, for, I think there's such a help there for that just average everyday Christian that can be totally disabused of legalism and yet earnestly desire the living God and enjoy worship of Him on their couch in the morning or Sunday morning in the worship service and everywhere in between. Um, and I think that's so immensely helpful for people, and it should be, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, so I, I, you know, for me, it's such a fundamental underpinning of Christianity itself that I can't help but 
you know, mm-hmm. preach from that. You know what I mean? And and, mm-hmm. and so sometimes it does come off probably a lot like Piper, not because necessarily I'm consulting him on everything, but mm-hmm. he so fundamentally changed my understanding of Christianity. I think that mm-hmm. um, that it was that that it it can't help but flow throughout. You know. So if you if you were to have a, a church member, and I've had church members say this before, like you quote you quote from John Piper so much, you mm-hmm. you sound like a fanboy. And my response is, well, you know, I have the T-shirt. Well, I, I don't, but figuratively, I do. And if someone were to give me a Piper T-shirt, I'd probably wear it for fun. But <laughs> I, I I didn't realize. But only if they how, gave it away free at the SBC. <laughs> Only if it was swag at the Desiring God booth, which I've never just, seen it. Just going to be honest. What's with the you? deal? Yes, and and I just hope that at some point, <laughs> SBC people listen to this podcast so that they realize: look, it's important for us when we go to the convention that we need to hand out T-shirts as swag. You know, just yeah. saying. I'm going to just yeah. drop that line every time we do a podcast. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Or or hammocks and mugs and backpacks and the ridiculous amount of. Uh, swag that we had Look, from last those are great, but he, I'm going to be honest with you. If I bring home another coffee mug, my wife might kill me. <laughs> I, I, but but I'm, I cannot underscore enough, and I'm being dead serious about this, the swag at the SVC t-shirts become my wardrobe for the next year. <laughs> I'm not lying. Like, I literally wear them every day. People think you've been to six seminaries, but no, they you do. just have the t-shirt. Yeah. They do. Oh, oh did you go to Midwestern? Yeah. No. No. no, no. <laughs> just got Sorry, bro. the Texas shirt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I go to the convention. So I, you were saying there's time when, when I had to first answer that question, I realized I've, I've made my own journey to, to quit being a celebrity pastor follower, but I I still quote from so often that I think it's unhelpful in in the sense that, Hey, I should probably stop doing that. It makes it sound like Piper has some kind of equal authority with scripture. There's scripture. And then there's a quote from Piper. Uh, and and as soon as I say, it's kind of like, uh, this you know th- this quote right here and everyone goes oh here's another piper quote and um that, that, I don't, that's unhelpful i think uh, i don't think it helps your preaching i don't think it helped my preaching and i've steered away from that for a while now um because i don't i don't think piper's worth that i don't think he would want that i don't think that's helpful uh there's as good or better books than some of his out there on many things so uh something to to be cautious for what, what would you guess is the best selling Piper book if you had to guess it has to be Desiring God yeah by far the, next what, what would be your second guess um oh goodness gracious probably Let the Nations Be Glad would be my guess Don't Waste Your Life oh yeah that's Don't Waste Your Life yeah that's yeah, probably pretty, pretty impactful that's probably up there so um if you were if you were recommending a book to someone to start off what would you recommend? Depends on the kind of reader that they are and kind of talking to what's going on. Um, God is the gospel is a really good kind of shorter version of the fact that, you know, if you could have heaven without God, that's not Christian. If you could have heaven with everything you ever wanted and all of your family members but not Jesus, that's not Christian. That's that's not gospel. That's not salvation. So God being the goal of the gospel, we are reconciled back to God through Christ and that being the gospel. Uh, that's a really helpful book. 
and it's shorter, more succinct, and I don't I don't recall it being so complicated, so heady. Uh, you know, the first portion of Desiring God is just a, a defense and an introduction to Christian hedonism, and half the time. Uh, when I've given that to people, it's you know the idea of if they know what hedonism is, the fact that it's being connected with Christianity is confusing, and it's a hurdle just to get into that chapter, then to get through it, and then to understand it. So, I mean, I would most often still recommend Desiring God and say this is the thing which is in every book. Go read the first uh, chapter, talk about it, go back and read the rest. It's that that really is the 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 base of his whole ministry uh what he says about christian hedonism and desiring god and so if if you can read that and be challenged with it and you know let your let your head ache and be confused for a minute and reread some sentences i think that'd be really good for your soul really good for your mind so that would be the one i would recommend unless there was something specific where someone's asking a question about preaching or about sexuality or about marriage and Pepper has specific books on those kinds of things. Yeah, there's a um, so desiring God is obviously the underpinning of every book. So you read Desiring God, you understand Desiring God, you understand every book he writes after that. Um, there's also a little, um, a tiny version of Desiring God. I mean, it's maybe not a hundred pages, called the Dangerous Duty of Delight, and. It's basically desiring God in miniature. And so you could potentially start with Dangerous Duty of Delight and kind of wrestle with it before going to Desiring God and reading the full tome um, That's that kind of unpacks all those ideas. But uh, the Dangerous Duty of Delight is also a good a good place to start you know, for, for desiring God, but it's, it's just so, I, I, I think every time I'm, I sit down with, uh, particularly we, you know, just as the, the kind of the day we live in, uh, pornography is such a constant struggle for man after man after man in particular, but I've also sat down with plenty of women who, have dealt with those same issues and and it, and it it's only exponentially growing as they get younger and the younger they are and particularly with devices and all these kinds of things we have the you know the the heroin needle of of pornography in our pocket we carry it around every single day and there's such a binding nature to that particular addiction and that sin struggle that I think the way Piper articulates the gospel is just really instructive and very helpful in battling those issues in particular. So what I've found time and time again is that people will turn to pornography, pornography in particular, because they're convinced that there is no better joy out there. And is that a subconscious conviction or do you feel like guys have sit around and studied it and gone, I I think this is it. Or is it more of an impulse of, I'm just, that's the kind of, uh, this seems to be the most satisfying. Yeah. It's, it's an impulse. We turn to things like pornography because it, it, 
promises such satisfaction. And Piper is attacking that head on. And he's saying, if you are a Christian, then your soul will be delighted in God. Mm -hmm. And the more you pursue Him, the more you find your satisfaction in Him, the more you'll, the, the things of the world, the attractions of the world will disappear. And it, it's, a, it's a necessary correlation. And so, like, kind of like James even argues, you know, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, resist the devil and he will flee. Mm-hmm. That there is a, it's, a, it's a, essentially a tug of war. And your soul is meant to be satisfied in God. And, and so, for me, like I talked about earlier, like in counseling, this is the biggest hurdle to help people who are addicted to really understand is that you you actually can be satisfied more in the Lord and in obedience to Him than you are in pornography or whatever else the addiction may be. Anything. Yeah, yeah than anything. And, and so, but you need to set up your life so that you actually give your soul the food that it needs to be satisfied in God. And so, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, all the time I, I, sitting down with, with people who are in addictions. And I use pornography just because it's such an, a, an easy mm-hmm. one to kind of to look at, I think, and so mm-hmm. prevalent. But, um, you know, we talk about hurdles and all, putting up all kinds of obstacles and things like that. But part of the reason why those obstacles are insufficient, they're good and they're necessary and you have to do that. But part of the reason why they're insufficient is because you haven't actually turned your heart onto a greater pleasure. Mm-hmm. And if your heart is still thinking, well, the greatest pleasure that I have that I could ever seek is images on a screen or what, whatever joy comes subsequent to that, mm-hmm. then you locking your heart in a closet is not going to cause it to, to change its affiliations or its joys or its affinities. And mm-hmm. so it's just going to desire all the more those images on the screen and it's going to do whatever it takes in a moment of weakness where your your flesh is weak to climb over all those obstacles that you've put up and seek after what it's truly enthralled by um i I was reminded and i know i've told you this before i was reminded of a story um of jerome uh 300s 400s i can't remember exactly the years he lived but uh he, he is a saint in the catholic church he uh he basically wrote the Vulgate, uh, the Latin version of the Hebrew of the Old Testament, and um, he uh, he tells this story about he and some friends who wanted to get away from Rome and from the lusts and the things that are there in the city of Rome. And so he and these four friend, these three friends went out into the wilderness to just live as a monastic lifestyle basically in the wilderness. And he two of two of the guys died in the wilderness and one of the guys decided to turn, you know, this is for the birds. I'm turning back and and going back into town. Uh, and so he left and so Jerome was by himself and he said there I was you know I can't remember the quote exactly but it's something like you know there I was in, 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 uh, on the verge of starvation and dying of thirst and my lips were blistered by the sun and all I could think in that moment was of the dancing ladies in Rome hmm. and so he had locked himself away 
in the wilderness, but his heart was still desiring the lust of the flesh. And what Piper is attacking and what's so helpful, I think, for people who are in the midst of those kinds of situations is that your heart can actually be enthralled by the Lord far more than what you're seeking in pornography or any other addiction. And and I think it's it's helpful to understand that. But in addition to putting up those hurdles, you have to actually build in your heart the affinity for the Lord um, with, with your routines of the day, you know? Right. And so I, I think those are some of the more helpful things th- that people, you know, it, it, whether you read Piper or not, you must encounter that idea to help understand what God is actually offering you in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. is a, is a, a deeper affinity, a, a greater joy, a superior pleasure. Yeah, I feel like Piper's ministry came on the you know the end and the tail of Billy Graham's ministry, and I think you could say you know Billy Graham's ministry was a. John three sixteen ministry. Uh, Jesus died for you. Believe and be saved. Come down, sign a card, be saved today. And uh, my own dad's testimony is coming to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in clean. But I think Piper Piper has come in, and I don't even know that Piper has had the same national and certainly not anywhere close to the political kind of influence that Billy Graham had. But Piper has become kind of a uh, Matthew thirteen forty four version of the gospel. Not that there's two gospels to be clear, but that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, and a man finds it, he covers it up, and then in his joy he goes and sells everything that he has, and he buys that field. That that is the gospel. The gospel is saying there's nothing greater than the kingdom. There's nothing greater than God. There's no no greater joy in the world than salvation through Christ. That it's not just a trade to, you know, so thankful that I don't have to go to hell and I'll go to heaven and, and, and a better place instead, but that God himself is the treasure. And Christ himself and his kingdom is the, the pearl of uh, great value. And so, like like you said, that that it just shows up so many places, and I, and I think it has helped me read the Bible, and I, and I start to see it everywhere in Scripture, uh, and not not that you just make it appear everywhere, <laughs> but right. but you realize this is the thing over and over and over. Uh, it just makes me think about God sending the Israelites across the Jordan into the uh, land, telling them, "Hey, listen, don't treasure your treasures too much. Don't get in there and love the fruit and the vines." You know, we we always think about uh, the Promised Land being the land of milk and honey, the land of prosperity, but God warned them not to enjoy the prosperity in a way that made them forget God himself. Mm-hmm. And that's a theme through Scripture, the, the pleasuring, the treasuring, the, the loving of, of God himself. And my, I mean, my own testimony is, I don't know anything. I, I have uh, had my own experiences with pornography. To this day, there are little pleasures. My, my new temptation in the world is uh, Texas buttermilk pie. But... <laughs> I just there is no joy in the in the universe in all eternity like knowing God. Yeah. And, and my own temptation and what I think I've learned and so helpful is 
I don't just see sin as breaking a rule like you're talking about. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I have grown out of that. I don't, I don't always know better and, and I don't always do better. But when I sin, I don't think I broke a rule. Mm-hmm. I think my heart wanted the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And exactly. it's so different than being told to do the right thing and realizing you didn't want the right thing to begin with, and that's the problem. And that, that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's that's Jeremiah. It's it it's it's through the Bible. Yeah. What's what I think is helpful too is you can get you can you can get a skew on this where you say, well, you know, the joy of God is running up against the joy of Texas buttermilk pie, which I will just say, just as a, uh, an aside, I introduced you to Texas buttermilk pie. I, I, I did mention this in my sermon on Sunday, it's, by the way. It's my favorite <laughs> pie, and my wife uh, made it for you. No, who, who was it? No, I think it was my, your, my mother-in-law's. Mom. It was my mother-in-law's yes, pie. Yeah. Yes, I have never met this woman, to my recollection, but I have deep affection for her, and I'm eager to see her in person. She makes her own crust, which... Mm-hmm. That's a game changer, my friend. That is a game changer. All right. That yeah. that changes the whole pie. All right. But yes, I will say what we can do is you can run into it's God, it's the pleasure of God versus Texas buttermilk pie. Right. But Piper is saying, no, you God created you to enjoy the life that He has given you. And you enjoy Texas buttermilk pie. To the glory of God, yeah. uh, and and that there is a way to enjoy your life that glorifies and honors God and and brings you delight, not because your your delight terminates in Texas buttermilk pie, because yeah. but because it bubbles up into the God of the universe who made food flavorful and made you to enjoy it. Yeah, and so it's, it, the, it's the ability to go. Praise God for Texas buttermilk pie. Yes. And I think P- Piper's answered the question, you know, can you enjoy Dr. Pepper? And he's like, uh, yeah, if you can thank God for Dr. Pepper and you don't kill yourself with it, then yeah, do that. Yeah. But the joy the joy is so that if someone comes along and takes your Texas buttermilk pie and all you have is God, you're sitting there going, no loss. Pra- right. Praise God, I have God. I, I, right. I didn't gain or lose anything. Right. When that right. happened, I mean, that's really hard for me to say right now. But you don't lose <laughs> anything if someone takes your Texas buttermilk pie, or your money, or your job, or your life. You don't lose anything. Yeah. If Ooh. you if you have God. What's so interesting about that that idea, that way of understanding what God has done in Christ, is that all of these things—buttermilk pie, Dr Pepper, sex, whatever mm-hmm. the pleasure may be all of these things add to your love for God if you will they mm-hmm. contribute to a positive love for the Lord who created them and created you to enjoy them mm-hmm. but removing them does not take any away right how can that be right yeah. this is how God has ordered you Christian in the universe that you are enthralled by the God who created you and by the things that he has given you to enjoy you can enjoy him to a much greater degree even a much deeper yeah. appreciation of all of the things that he's created you to enjoy by enjoying them actually yeah but in and losing them you don't lose anything 
Yeah. And I think one of the, to get technical here for just a minute, and then I'm going to, I think, read something as a a way out might be helpful, that there's a, uh, I can't remember where Piper was teaching, but he mentioned that God is not an idolater. And I just remember thinking, well, of course not, but what does he mean by that? The greatest commandment is to have no other gods, worship no one besides the Lord your God. And, and, and Piper's argument is God would be an idolater if he had someone else above his own affections mm-hmm. for himself. Mm-hmm. Now, that just made my brain twist in little knots and and work out for years. But that is at the heart of the fact that God can have his own glory as uppermost in his own affections and simultaneously be working for, create for, redeem for your joy at the same time. Mm-hmm. So this this is one of the this part of the geekiest moment the geekiest Piper moment I'll have right here on on uh, on this episode. So a few years ago, so I'll, I'm going to read the intro to uh, Desiring God. And a few years ago, uh, one of our uh, elders who uh, was getting rid of some some books uh, brought a box a box up here to the office for me to go through. And they're they're old. A lot of them are, you know, I just. I was very grateful for, but probably not going to read, put aside. In the box, 1986, first edition, Desiring God, which is what I'm going to read from, that exact copy, with his notes in it right now. Man. (laughs) Is that geeky or what, dude? I'm so lame. It's it's pretty geeky and very lame. (laughs) This is... It's a 1986... (laughs) This is a 1986 version. It's like, like it was that long ago. <laughs> this is not. I mean, this isn't like a first edition of Tolstoy or something. This is. <laughs> this is actually so this not is, that long ago. Yeah, I, I was alive when you've seen a DeLorean. Out. It's about that old. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was five, but nevertheless. <laughs> so this is this is the introduction, and I I think this is a paragraph. I think we could both say this is so paradigm shifting from you being the center of your world and even salvation what it's about this this how he starts he says you might turn the world on its head by changing one word in your creed the old tradition says the chief end of man is to glorify god and enjoy him forever and piper says like ham and eggs sometimes you glorify god and sometimes you enjoy him sometimes he gets glory sometimes you get joy and is a very ambiguous word just how do these two things relate to each other evidently the old theologians didn't think that they were talking about two things they said chief end not chief ends glorifying god and enjoying him were one end in their minds not two how can that be that's what this book is about not that i care too much about the intention of 17th century theologians but i care tremendously about the intention of god in scripture 
What does God have to say about the chief end of man? How does God teach us to give him glory? Does he command us to enjoy him? If so, how does the quest for joy in God relate to everything else? Yes, everything. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's the introduction is that everything everything exists for God's glory and that includes us and that means that our greatest joy is in his glory too right that was helpful uh, to give a, a picture of where basically everything he's ever done it starts in that paragraph right there comes out of that I think yeah it's good and he'll go on to say the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever Listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you, and most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.